0: And how did someone forgive me of your background, know what a former king of England might need? I didn't. His Royal Highness taught me everything, with great patience and kindness. Then will you teach me? In which capacity? As my personal valet. British society is the finest in the world. British manners and customs rule the world. With your help, I will become that rare thing, a British gentleman.
1: Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. I'm Edith Bowman, and this is the podcast that follows the fifth season of the Netflix series, The Crown, episode by episode, taking you behind the scenes, speaking with many of the talented people involved and diving deep into the stories. Today we'll be diving into episode three of season five, called Mumu. When a young Mohammed al-Fayed encounters the Duke and Duchess of Windsor in Egypt, an ambition sparks in him to obtain wealth, power and, most importantly, acceptance by the British royal family. Years later, Mohammed's path brings him to Paris and London with his beloved son Dodi in tow, hoping his wealth and connections will take him to the top of the British class system but will his efforts ever be enough to win favor with the queen we'll cover specific events and scenes that feature in this episode so if you haven't watched episode 3 yet i suggest you do it now or very soon coming up we'll hear from the actor playing mohammed al-fayed salim Dao.
0: in this scene on the reeds i felt really really a crocodile I love with that. madame reeds <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Yes. She's lunch, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
1: Totally. We'll find out the real history of Mohammed's personal valley, Sidney Johnson, with head of research Annie
2: Salzberger. He is just incredibly loyal, discreet, trustworthy, refused many times to write books about the Duke of Windsor, even though he's thought to have been poorly treated by the Duchess of Windsor after the Duke's death. And we'll meet the
1: director of this episode, Alex
3: Gabassi. We extended that scene because they were improvising. No! We didn't, we're not going to go through the bags. And then she kept going and she improvised, you know, a watch. And he goes, like an expensive watch.
1: But first, over to the writer and creator of The Crown, Peter Morgan. I wanted to find out why it was so important for him to move the lens away from the royals for this episode and tell the story of Mohammed Al-Fayed.
4: I'm always going to take the side of the outsider. And I thought it was really important to understand the whole context. I also think it's such a riveting story of wanting to be accepted. Yeah. And
1: doing everything. I know.
4: Me. You know, doing enough that one also really despairs. You know, he's a fantastically complex character. Mm. But it's worth seeing him as a character in in the light of his own background. And you've got to sort of contextualise where did he come from, what's his relationship to Britain. I remember when I wrote the adaptation of The Last King of Scotland for the cinema and I remember reading about Idi Amin and how he was brought up essentially by soldiers, you know, that represented Britain and the exalted values that it was felt that Britain represented. And it's the same for Al-Fayed growing up in the way that he did in Alexandria and, and a British colonial presence being there and how he grew up with the British army all around him and was so in awe of the British institutions, the British class system. And for him, just the idea of being accepted in any shape or form within those circles would be such a vindication or such a sort of recognition of where he'd got to, much more than amount of money in a bank. Mm. Acceptance by certain aspects of British society was a bigger victory, a bigger triumph. I would have probably always wanted to tell his story, but it would have been difficult to tell his story if it didn't intersect with or connect with the crown on a regular basis. Mm. And, and amazingly, with him, it was the house and his valet, you know. That <laughs> when I found out that the guy who had been the personal valet to Mohammed Al-Fayed had been the valet to the former king, Edward VIII. You know, that the story just fell into my lap at that point. And then it was tricky. It was tricky how to make it work. And I did a lot of drafts of that episode because you had to constantly hark back to core members of our cast whether it was the Duke of Windsor or the Queen or whatever it is you know or even a building like the building that we had seen throughout previous seasons the Villa Windsor in Mm. Paris telling that story ended up being a window into empire and outsiders Mm. you know it felt really good to bring in I was insistent that we do Arabic in Arabic And it was time to get subtitles into The Crown and have a lead characters speaking in their language. Yeah. And it's been really, really fun doing that.
1: I love that notion of you almost being handed a kind of gift of a piece of information that's this kind of spark of inspiration to go, that's what I want to write about. I love the idea of you, however you come across that information, you know.
4: That's one of the key parts of my job is when you survey a decade and you sort of think, you know, what are we going to tell here? What are the landmark events of this particular decade without which this decade would somehow not be being told responsibly? And then what are some of the alternative windows that we can look through? And then what are the outright, huh, (laughs) moments? (laughs) And this happily became one of those. And it was entirely down to the research team and their diligence and our willingness to read around all of it. But I have to say, in that particular moment, the minute I saw the connection with, with Sidney Johnson, the episode sort of immediately started writing itself in my head. I, I knew then that I wanted to go big and bold on Al-Fayed, you know, mm. all the way through.
0: Is it really true you used to work for the King of England? I worked for His Royal Highness, the Duke of Windsor, after he abdicated the throne as King Edward VIII... Yes, You know, the Duke visited Alexandria once. That was my first overseas trip with His Royal Highness, and then he asked me to join him permanently and brought me here with him to Paris. Aziz valet. Yes, sir.
1: So, before we go deeper into Mohammed's story, let's hear from the Crown's Head of Research, Annie Salzberger, to find out more about this pivotal character discovery. For our question this week, Annie, we have to know... Who was Sidney Johnson
2: and did Muhammad al-Fayed really hire him? Sidney Johnson was born in the Bahamas in 23 and in 1940 the Duke of Windsor and the Duchess of Windsor moved to the Bahamas as he becomes the governor of the Bahamas which was ultimately a position given to him to get him out of Europe because he was obviously pro-Nazi and he meets him at 16 years old and he becomes a beach attendant and um when the Duke of Windsor ends his time as governor in 45, he asks Sydney if he'd like to stay on as a footman and come live with him. And this is back at the time when they weren't really sure if they were going to be exiled for good. So they go to Paris for a while, then they go to Berkshire, and then they go back to Paris, realizing there's no way they're going to be let back in the fold. He gets promoted from footman to valet, and he stays on till the Duke dies in 72. He is just incredibly loyal, discreet, trustworthy, refused many times to write books about the Duke of Windsor, even though he's thought to have been poorly treated by the Duchess of Windsor after the Duke's death. There's one theory that the Duchess of Windsor disliked Sydney. She did not like interracial marriage. He had married a, um, a white French woman, and she even had said in her own words, my rich Southern blood boils at the thought of a mixed marriage. So that that could be part of it. And then his wife dies quite young in 72. He asks for a little extra time in the day to care for his four children, and she refuses and fires him. There is another theory that she couldn't afford to keep the same level of staff at this time after the Duke died, and she fires Sydney in this sort of move to economize. And then we don't really know much about what happens to him between 72 when he leaves their employ in 79. But in 79, Al-Fayed buys the Ritz, and Fayed meets Sydney. we think, as a waiter in the restaurant at the hotel. And given that Fayed is a lover of all things English, he's an Anglophile, but more importantly, he's obsessed with the royals, he most likely took this guy on because of his pedigree as having been valid to the former king. And he goes and gets installed in Fayed's British homes in Surrey and in London, And then in the 80s, it's getting very clear that Wallace Simpson, who is pretty much bedridden now, cannot take care of Villa Windsor, which is something that Fyad calls it. So Sydney starts saying to him, why don't we negotiate with her lawyer to see if maybe you could take on the lease and restore it to its former glory and invest a lot of money into this to show the royals how much you care. So he ends up... Actually, winning that. Sydney becomes a go between to her lawyer, Suzanne Blum. She essentially gives him a lease to almost all of the Windsor belongings, and then he goes to Jacques Chirac, who was mayor of Paris at the time, and he gets the lease for the actual house. Wallace dies in 1986, and thus begins the restoration of what he will call Villa Windsor. It used to just be called by its address, but he names it Villa Windsor when he leases it very intentionally. <laughs> What he doesn't understand is this is the last place on earth the royal family would want to memorialize. (laughs) They had to exile their favorite uncle. Nobody wanted to do that, and they had to. He feels rather brushed off by the royals. He tries to get them to take the abdication desk, and they're like, why do we want to memorialize the thing that was literally the place that he signed it on? The palace did take fire up on his generosity to an extent, and various items were returned. But these were really primarily ones that belonged to the state or the royal archives that the Duke of Windsor had no right taking in the first place. So Sydney becomes a kind of curator and custodian of Villa Windsor. He's installed there permanently, and it takes three years to restore. They have a big, big opening night. Three weeks later, he dies at about 66 years old. There's very little on Sydney. We don't know what he died of. We have some footage of him speaking. When they open Villa Windsor, he sort of takes you through it because he is the guy who knows the most about it. But there's very little about him other than when he died, five, it was like he was the truest gentleman in the world and was very keen to sort of honour him. And if you want to find out more about Sidney Johnson, head over to the Netflix
1: YouTube channel to watch Beneath the Crown, a miniseries taking you even deeper into the real history that inspires the drama. This episode opens in a world far away from the places we usually see The Crown, but no less influenced by the Windsor dynasty. So I wanted to ask director Alex Gabassi what it was like filming his first ever episode of The Crown on location.
3: Yeah, we did go to... Places like Spain, yeah, and we shot Alexandria in um, a mixture of uh, Seville with Cádiz and Jerez la Frontera. Yeah, there was a mix of uh, architecture and all that. That I think for me gave a sense that this is the right place. And also the idea that there's dust, yeah. everywhere. So it's kind of this. You, know, you
1: can feel the heat watching you feel the episode. The heat. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. When they sell, they are selling Coca Cola bottles, yeah. that was in Seville. And that was by the way it's just I it wasn't a location that we were looking uh, I was going from one location to another and suddenly I looked and I, what is that <laughs> <laughs> That looks very you know Arabic architecture yeah. and uh, and then we stopped and we see and there was a archaeological museum there and that scene actually there was a massive beautiful shot that really introduced everything Peter didn't feel that that was right because you wanted to go straight to the character. So his point of view. Yeah, uh, played in close-up, his point of view. Sometimes that's an interesting interesting decision. Uh, coming into The Crown, what you do is, as, as a director, you think, okay, this is all about framing, blocking and framing mm-hmm. and composition. That was The Crown, was always thing. And in this case, we didn't have the usual... Uh, elements. You didn't have the royal family from the beginning. We were not in England. We were not in those palaces. We're not, mm-hmm. So I didn't have any beginning points that I could rely on yeah. to somehow, okay, I'm doing the crown. Was, <laughs> everything was new. Yeah. And then I had my wonderful DOP, Adriano Goldman, who has shot many other episodes. So somehow we're both sort of, okay, finding out. I'm working with him first time, you know, and in fiction. So I thought... OK, let's just find our own way. So we did do a lot of the, the crane shots that you, the usual crown episodes requires. And yet we checked them out because I think in the end, Peter wanted to have this more of a, especially in that beginning, at least, yeah. this social realism type. Well, because uh, it's
1: so different to other episodes, hmm. you know, in terms of it is kind of, it's taking you out of the crown for a moment almost. yeah. Let's talk about the episode specifically and and kind of what happens and the key themes that are in this episode, Mumu.
3: Episode three, we jump back to 1946 in Egypt, where Mohammed al is in his teens selling Coca-Cola bottles in the streets and really the the ambitions are there, you know, and his first glimpse of the royal family Mm. happens when the former king, Edward, visits Alexandria, with Simpson, And that's when he realizes that the allure of, of that life and the way that influences the people around him somehow gives him the, the first idea of, you know, this is what I should pursue. Yeah. And then when he marries and then has the son and then that's via Mohammed, we introduce Doji. As a baby. So that's basically the idea of the episode is really to tell this story, but also Mohammed's story, but also to introduce this character who's gonna be crucial for the rest of the story of you know the family and Diane and all that. So then we jump ahead and we see Mohammed achieving his success via purchasing a lot of famous businesses like you know the Ritz in Paris or Mm. Herald's. And throughout this story, we keep the royal family some somehow in the outskirts of this of, of this episode. And paradoxically, they're ubiquitous there because we've keep mentioning them all the time, because that's Mohammed's idea. A visit?
0: I would be most honored. When? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you, we look forward to it. The queen's private secretary, I always said she would come. The mountain is really moving to Mohammed. Where's Dodi? Tell him to come.
3: I think there is something about Mohammed Al-Fayed, and I think Salim embodies very well which is, Salim is a very physical actor. Unlike Khalid Abdallah, who plays Doja, who is a way more intellectual, and yet both of them are very intuitive. Mm. And I think Salim plays, he reacts a lot of what is around him and the environment. And I played a lot with that, just giving him ideas and moving around and then all, and trying to balance that with. So in a way, his first movement is to react to something and then he steps back yeah. and sees it. That's why Sidney Johnson, played by the wonderful Jude Akawudki, somehow he works as a, some kind of conscious...
1: Yeah, it's a idea. really fascinating relationship. It's
3: a wonderful relationship for that because he is... As you can see, when, when Sidney Johnson is not there anymore... In episode 10, how much Mohammed has changed. Yeah. And because he's not he doesn't have that man anymore, just to, to, to just to look at him and go, maybe not that way.
1: Yeah. He hardens, doesn't he? He
3: hardens. So in a way, Sidney Johnson was wonderful to have around. I mean, even in the scene, the, the crucial scene in episode three, in which finally Doji confronts Mohammed Al-Fayed by saying, Look, you always want me to be my own, you know. Man, yeah. You not know, to be more active, to be proactive, and, to do, and then you cut my legs off uh, when I have these ideas. But just prior to that, there's Sidney Johnson who is there, and Sidney Johnson is the last person we see uh, before this confrontation happens. So it's about Sidney Johnson being around his presence it gives him the right path to, to follow, yeah. and the moral values come from that, the ethics. Is an interesting thing because although he says in a way that I want to be a gentleman, but the fact is that again is how can I become accepted? How can I be accepted? What, mm. what t- teach me? Yeah, you know, by reading this, by doing that. It's funny because it's not about that at all. <laughs> yeah, and yet he follows all these lessons which are very fun to shoot and, yeah. and, to, and, and to edit. Uh, but, the, but we will find out later that there is something quite interesting because when we jump, just jumping ahead yeah. for the last scene in which he meets Diana, you know, it's not about... and I mean, you see that both of them are just free yeah. to talk and be funny and be themselves. Be, be themselves. And then you realise how great... You know, this could be if it wasn't for the fact that these two people are trying to achieve things that are, are not important. And then then two together are great. I don't think Mohammed at the time of that scene, he was planning, scheming, Dodgy and Diana together. I think he was literally and genuinely interested in Diana himself in being a friend.
1: Yeah. And I love the chemistry. I think that you feel it instantly. It's beautiful. It's yeah. almost kind of like two children meeting for the first time, you yeah. know, in a kind of
3: through abandoned children. Yeah. Who who are just yeah. Well, who are you? And I, I'm here. And yeah, can be friends. And, yeah, yeah. And it's funny. He's got. He's got. I remember that Salim has this idea that he was looking with the the binoculars, <laughs> yeah. and then he sees the queen there. So he's like, "Oh, she's there, <laughs> <laughs> and she's not coming again." And I said, "No, oh, wait, man. wait," because yeah. his his tendency obviously is to make. You know, he's a very funny. Person and and (laughs) lovely so and I said no no no, let's bring it down a little bit (laughs) talk
1: a little bit about working with Elizabeth and Salim on on that Mm. that introduction to that Mm. introduction really you know of those two individuals meeting for the first time but you immediately feel and see the connection a friendship kind of starts immediately really doesn't it
3: Yes, yes, totally. And what we did was, well, I suggested that we met first, not only because it was a long scene, but also just to see how um, Salim would um, deliver those lines in a way that it felt, okay, I you get the humor, mm. but there is an underlying kind of emotional there's a pathos here that could come in and so um, I just wanted to see how they would react. and it's funny because then, as they played the scene once, and as she laughed, because he's Salim is funny and then Mohammed has to be funny there. And the, suddenly I realized this is it. And she actually mentioned, she herself said, I think we shouldn't do it anymore. I said, you're right. We should oh, do wow. this on the day because let's not, you know, use yeah. that freshness. And as you can see, there was a moment in the scene in which she does laugh. She she cannot contain herself and, and because it, it just looks like her. So, yeah when she says something yeah there's royalty here yes somewhere and she just, <laughs> yeah yeah <she> just, <laughs> yeah because the way he does it he just again is the way Salim is the wonderful. You know, reactor, if there's yeah. such a word, He's, uh, he he understands. He plays ball. Yeah, timing is, is, is so important. Is it timing, and also the timing in that scene. There was a lot. I mean, obviously, some part of me wanted that scene to be played in a two shot, all the you know, all the way through, because it's about how they react to each other, and you keep looking at the other one when <laughs> one is delivering. And then in the end, obviously, you want to see the beautiful Diana close up. So we do. Play with both, but there is something about when they nailed it. I thought this mm. is it. It's you know, it's not about horses, and it's not about, yeah. about them. That's They're it. in their own
1: little world, you know. she's going through the goodie bag, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which.
3: By the way, we extended that scene because they were improvising. No, yeah. we didn't. We're not gonna go through the bags. And then she kept going, and she improvised. You know, oh watch, and he goes. Like an expensive watch, <laughs> and that wasn't, you know, wasn't there. So he kept going. So it's, it's a wonderful. It just kept going, and I just go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be watching them. And then she laughs, you know, so naturally, and we fall in love with her, and fall in love with him too.
0: Oh, now he comes. May I present my son, Dodie, Your Highness.
2: Dodie, Dodie, just Dodie. What? It's a joke, joke.
0: It's a funny, funny. <laughs> I see Will you join us? Uh, I can't, I'm I'm with friends Pleasure meeting you
2: Now, let's see what's in
1: Queen's gift bag A watch?
0: An expensive watch
1: You little creep A silver pen And now, I was very lucky to meet the phenomenal Salim Dao, who plays Mohammed Al-Fayed, to talk about taking on this massive role. Salim, thank you so much for being here. It's genuinely really lovely to talk to you about this character that you play and your performance. Congratulations, first of all. It's really special. Thank you. I want to talk about, first of all, if that's okay, about getting the role, the opportunity to play Muhammad Al-Fayed on The Crown. How did you feel about that? What was your thoughts about taking on this character?
0: Uh, I was so excited to hear that I might be cast in, in this amazing show. It's a great thing. I spoke to Alex, uh, the director, and uh, Robert, the cast director. Mm-hmm. We did an audition via Zoom, <laughs> and I was waiting <laughs> in my home. <laughs> yes. How long? Yes, um, sometime, you know, sometime. <laughs> sometime after that, I I got the call confirming I was cast.
1: How did that make you feel? Uh,
0: for me, uh, it's a dream. It's a real, real dream have this big character in this great series. So I was so happy.
1: Do you mind if I ask what you did for your audition? Yes,
0: uh, I did the lovely scene with uh, the lovely Diana with my daughter.
1: Beautiful.
0: Because I did my audition when I was at home, yes.
1: Oh, wow, that's so interesting because the relationship could be seen as very father-daughter. Oh,
0: yes, yes, yes.
1: How did you work with the creatives behind the scenes we've been lucky to speak to so many of them oh yes and they work so collaboratively with each other oh yes talk to me a little bit about working with all those wonderful people behind the scenes
0: everyone is so great really really the wonderful and the great Amy
1: oh yes the amazing costume design team Amy and Sid (laughs) oh Oh, and Sid I love them
0: I love them so much my god (laughs) from here I say big hello (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to Amy and, 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 and said, Amy uh, helped me really to find uh, Momo. Her choices of of customs helped me to f- to feel closer wow. to Momo and captured his charisma and his space. Yes, and then I have a amazing amazing week amazing week you know when i when i go in the caravan to make up mm-hmm. i go as salim daw i went out from there i am muhammad el faid really wow so great this this weeks with the customs it's really really amazing amazing and then uh, alex the director yeah he is so so creative and so talented you know it was a big big pleasure for me to to work with him. He is such a great uh, person.
1: Did he give you some freedom yes. to, to, to play with the character to
0: Oh yes. We we talk a lot about my character and we listened very, very 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 attentive you know to each other. It was really great to work with uh, with Alex. So simple, so so easy. Because he listened to me and I listened to him. Mm. So we found, together we found many, many details.
1: Where did your research, I'm assuming you did your own research for the character. I'm interested to know how you prepared for this role because what I found really interesting in something I said to Peter is that as I think the public only really know Muhammad al-Fayed from the headlines that we've read. Yeah. We don't know his story. Yeah. So for you, what was the work you put in to research the character and prepare?
0: Annie and the whole team of research did a wonderful job providing us with all the information about our character. This uh, definitely uh, helped me to know Muhammad more and to be more prepared for this part. I have watched numerous interviews with him, observed him, the way he speaks, walks, laughs, everything Mm. about him. He is is a really fascinating person, so colourful.
1: What was it like working with her? And this is something that Peter said was so important to him about this particular episode, Mumu episode three, being bilingual. And what was that experience like for you?
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> this was a great challenge for me. Yeah? Because both English and Egyptian dialect are not my languages. My language is, is Palestinian Arabic, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's very different. Yes. Very different.
0: Egyptian is so different. Another music, another details, another, you know, so, so beautiful I love so much the Egyptian dialect, really I love but but I love challenges very much. You know. I worked hard on improving my my English for the part, and with wonderful William and Joe, who were my English coaches. Your,
1: your English is very good, may I add
0: <laughs> thank you. When I arrived, <laughs> I scared to open my mouth oh, bless I you. swear. <laughs> Scared to open my mouth. Now I feel better, but <laughs> my God, it's not enough. I, I feel the progress. Yeah. Yes, more and more, every day, because I'm working on on it. Yeah. And then I have uh, the wonderful Nurhan, my Egyptian coach. They were so helpful and patient, so important for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. I am a, a very perfectionist mm-hmm. person. So I I want to be exactly in the more smaller uh, details. Yeah. Yes.
1: Salim, how would you describe your character? What's your interpretation of Muhammad?
0: Muhammad's progression is very tense. He went through so much in his life. He is so motivated to be on top that this actually dictates the way he lives his life, and the way he behaves. He is so sharp, he observes everything around him, and when he gets opportunity, he goes for it. He came from nothing, and he became everything.
1: Have I addressed you correctly, Fayed?
0: Al Fayed.
1: I ask only because there seems to be a great deal of mystery surrounding you. One day I hear you are Saudi, the next uh, Kuwaiti.
0: The Al-Faid family comes from Egypt, the cradle of civilization. I heard that you and your brothers have no history of hotel ownership, nor
1: property development, and that there is even a bounty on your head from your time in Haiti as a commission agent.
0: Please, madame, do not listen to either rumors and concentrate on our offer. $18.6 $18.6 million. Dollars. Significantly higher than any of our rivals.
1: We first see you on screen as Mohammed, as he is attempting to buy the Ritz Hotel. How would you describe the character at this particular point? <laughs> What's he like? Yeah. Like how you laugh when <laughs> you're <laughs> back?
0: By- <laughs> I'm laughing because <laughs> I, I love this scene <laughs> very very much. <laughs> at this point, he is most confident because he wants the hotel. He loves this hotel. And he knows he will get it. He knows that. And I felt that when I when I did this scene I I knew exactly that I will get this hotel from Madame Ritz. Mm. You know I saw him when I worked on this character from the beginning. I felt him like a crocodile. Yes. I worked on, on a crocodile inside my my body, because he is here, <laughs> observes, yeah. waiting, and when he see something important, he goes on it. I love that. Yes, he is a real a crocodile. crocodile, and I felt <laughs> I feel like that in 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 this scene on the reeds, I felt really really a crocodile.
1: I love With that. Madame Reitz. That's so okay. <laughs> yes. She's lunch, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. In this scene as well, we also get a real insight into a side of the relationship between Muhammad and Dodi. I wanted yeah. to ask how you would describe Muhammad and Dodi's relationship in this this episode, played by the wonderful Khalid Abdullah.
0: It's a very complicated father son relationship this is a father that loves his son deeply and is willing to do anything for, for him yes mm-hmm. but in the same time this same love can make him be controlling and unfair though he is such a devoted son torn between pleasing his father mm and and waiting to make his own decisions it's it's heart warming and heartbreaking mm. at the same time
1: do you think it's complicated because he had a complicated relationship with his father do you think it's that that's uh, part of the reason
0: Yes, I think, but he considered his father as you know, as, you know, he was a simple teacher, you know. Yeah. And uh, Muhammad, he was so, so he, he saw the world.
1: And he wanted to grab it.
0: Yes, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. he want to be on top, like I said. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: And he wanted his his son Dodi to be really on top. He can see him a little bit, you know, you know. Yes or no? No beef. Fear be be here.
1: Yeah, wanted them to be like him.
0: Yes, every every father, I think. Every yeah. father wants his sons to be like him. Yeah. It's the big fault of every father all over the world.
1: It's really wonderful to watch you and Khaled play those scenes together. He's a, a beautiful actor. What was that like working with him?
0: Khaled is such a a, a talented actor and a wonderful human being. I enjoyed working with him very much, really. We have such a a wonderful relationship on and off screen. (laughs) You know, it, it feels like we are really, really a father and a son. I hope that still leaves enough for me to do what I want. Which is? to set up a production fund, to finance... Finance what? Motion pictures. I found the perfect partners. The best people with world-class talent and connections. And what do you have? What do you mean? They have talent and expertise. What do you have? Money. I have money. What do you have? There is a confrontation between Momo and Dodi. When Dodi asks Momo for money to produce his own movie, <laughs> yes, Momo insults him, telling him he has nothing. But then, immediately, we see uh, Momo and Dodi. On the set of Dode's film, <laughs> realising Momo gave him the money in the end. And this really shows how, how complicated the relationship was. He loves him very much and he, he is so hard with him sometimes, but he, in the end...
1: Gives him the money. He gives
0: <laughs> him the money, he gives him everything,
1: Yes. It's almost like he wants him to fight for it
0: yes. before
1: he gives it to him, Yes, in a way. He wants yes. to see the fight. He wants to see the drive. He wants he, to see the determination. Exactly. I love um, watching you the, when they win the Oscar.
0: Yeah. The Academy. <laughs> That's
1: a
3: great
0: scene. Oh, yes. That's very, a great scene. Very lovely scene, <laughs> yes. yeah. We win. I win.
1: <laughs> How would you describe... Mohammed and Sidney Johnson's relationship he's a very important man in Mohammed's life
0: when Momo uh, first sees Sydney he doesn't love him at all and asks to throw him out but when he realizes who he is this Sidney, he asks for him back and here we feel exactly what is uh, Mohammed Faid he can change he's so flexible mm-hmm. so why he asks to have him back because he needs sydney to help him to be a real british english gentleman this is his dream to be he said it but then but then after that uh, sydney becomes momo's only best friend Really, so touching. So yeah. touching.
1: Unexpected this, for him. The,
0: yes, this relationship between between Momo and Sydney. They really develop a beautiful relationship. It's lovely to watch. If I may say, sir, whatever thoughts you might be thinking, I imagine they're no different from the thoughts the Duke had about the royal family almost every day he was alive. What are you talking about, Muhammad Al Fayed? Just made the Queen of England very happy indeed.
1: From all the research that you did, and the scripts, and playing the character, what is your understanding of his drive for acceptance by the royal family? You know, you talk about him wanting to be accepted as a British citizen and, a, and a, an English gentleman, but. The royal family he's driven by acceptance mm, by yeah, the royal family yeah. what's your understanding of why yeah, I,
0: I, I think I understood that he thinks he will be on the world if this happens yes because he will become bigger if he is close to the queen I think he he thinks he will be protected mm. forever if he is close to the Queen,
1: Hmm. yes. The one person that he does become close to within that family is Diana. Yes. And we, at the end of this episode, we see Muhammad and Diana meet and quickly become friends. They're like kindred spirits almost, both seeking acceptance, really. A wonderful warmth. Um, And, of course, Diana's played by the hugely talented Elizabeth Debicki. Tell us a little bit about filming with Elizabeth and what that was like.
0: <laughs> we enjoyed working together a lot and we developed a very special work relationship together. She's amazing. She's so beautiful. See, She's really, really wonderful and so talented. It's a huge pleasure for me to work with, with this friend. Hmm. Yes, I consider her like a friend. I, I I feel she is my friend. Really.
1: That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. I love the scene at the polo with the bag of goodies. Yes. And there's just it's almost like they're pulled together. Yeah. Yeah. And the conversation between them is so easy. Yes. And so fun simple. and light. So simple and yeah. fun. I uh, I think
0: I think we, we feel each other very good. Yeah. El- Elizabeth and me. Yes. We listen to each other. We laugh very well (laughs) together. So what I need more than that? Yeah. Nothing.
1: I'm Edith Bowman and my special thanks to our guests on this episode, Peter Morgan, Annie Salzberger, Alex Gabassi and Salem Dow. The Crown, the official podcast is produced by Netflix and something else in association with Left Bank Pictures. Join us next time when we go behind the scenes of episode four of season five called Annas Horribilis. A huge fire engulfs Windsor Castle as Elizabeth is forced to confront her past mistakes. Will a public admission of pain be enough to absolve a family in crisis or will it fan the flames of growing discontent among her subjects? My point,
0: since we're speaking
1: Latin now, is Tempus fugit time passes people will move on and forget make a statement like this no
0: one will forget quite apart from the fact it's an expression of personal sentiment the kind of which we
4: do not make
0: and it could also be interpreted as an
1: admission of our failings which will only encourage further attacks it has been by some margin the worst year of my reign quite possibly my life I'm happy for people to know you know what? That their queen is depressed. That I am made of flesh and blood, and that perhaps I, ha- we, have fallen short in our duty as a family, and owe them an apology. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.